Well, I'm not real sure in the history of man there has ever been a cup that has caused so much controversy as the color of this cup right here. It's funny the things that we choose to judge, isn't it? Let me paint a scenario for you. You're at the gym and that guy is there. You know, it's the guy who always hogs the treadmill. You know, he's always on the weight bench and he's wearing those baggy leopard pants. (laughs) And you think 1985 is calling and they want their clothes back. (laughs) Or you're at the stoplight and this kid pulls up in this beat up car and he has the bass on so loud that your windows are rattling. He looks a certain way and you make a judgment about him. The funny thing is he's judging you as well. He's going, oh, they think they're so important because they're driving that car. Judging. We all do it. And we've all been a victim of it. People who don't even go to church, they know one verse in the Bible. The Bible says, do not judge. Now, they couldn't find it if their life depended on it. But they know it's in there somewhere. It's got to be in there somewhere. So what does that mean? And is it ever okay for us to judge? You're a parent and your daughter brings a guy home and you can tell immediately that he's bad news. You know that that if this keeps going down a road, this is not going to end well. And you talk to her afterwards, she says, you're being so judgmental. And you're like, you better believe I'm being judgmental because I'm your dad and I know better about these things. When we moved to Vegas, my kids were really young. My kids were five, two, and newborn. And we had family and friends that could not believe we were going to move to Vegas and raise our kids here. Maybe you had something similar happen to you if you moved here at some point. It was like they judged us for being bad parents because in their mind they thought, you know, we were going to live next to the MGM and, you know, have our kids at the craps tables every morning. I, I don't know what they thought. But we all know what it feels like to be judged. Someone looks at you and they judge you. They judge you by your money. They judge you you by the way that you dress, by your boyfriend or girlfriend. They judge you by your tattoos or your lack of tattoos. They, They look at you and they form an opinion about you. You may have been judged by the way that you parent your children. That your mother-in-law comes over and she says, we didn't raise our kids like this. And you want to say, exactly. That's the reason I'm raising my kids like this. And when you're judged, you don't have the opportunity to defend yourself, do you? Now, if you've been in church for very long, if you grew up going in church, the longer that you're in church, the more judgmental we tend to become. Us religious people... We just have this tendency that we judge pretty quickly. We will size people up and we will write them off. So why do we judge? Why do we do this stuff? I think there's a lot of reasons why we judge. But here's, I'll give you a couple. First, I think we judge because we're jealous. That we see someone who's more successful or who has more money or has what we want. And when they mess up, we judge them. That we judge them by their worst moment and we compare it to our highlight reel. Now, we wouldn't call it jealousy. 
But that's what it is. Or maybe you feel like you're, you're doing everything right and you see people who are living the way that they want to live and everything is going right for them, but it's not going right for you. And frankly, you're just jealous. You're jealous of them. See, I think we judge because we're jealous. I think a second reason that we judge is because we're self-righteous. For those of us who have been in church for very long, we just lean towards self-righteousness. Self-righteous people compare themselves to others, but then they keep God in a box. You know, they just kind of wanted to find how God, you know, works in their life. And they think, I'm so much better than her. I would never do that. I can't believe, believe that they do that. And it's easy for them to judge other people. And meanwhile, they just keep God in a box. And what they do is they dumb down the holiness of God and they elevate their own. Consequently, self-righteous people are rarely self-aware. Well, if you have your Bibles, I want you to turn to Matthew chapter 7. We're in a series that we're calling Red Letters. We're looking at some of the, the harder teachings of Jesus. And Jesus actually says, do not judge. But it's not all that he says. It is only the beginning of a longer discussion as he talks about this whole idea of do not judge. So here's what it says in Matthew chapter 7, beginning in verse 1. Jesus says this. He says, do not judge. There it is. There it is. Basically, our thought is you, don't, you cannot criticize me. You can't compare me to anyone or anything or confront me about anything that I do. Don't criticize me because it's none of your business. Don't compare me to my brother or my sister or someone else. And don't confront me about my behavior because ultimately it is none of your business. Do not judge, period. The only problem is when Jesus said this, there wasn't a period, there was a comma. Because he goes on to share more about this whole idea. Well, let me tell you what judging is not. Judging is not moral discernment. Sometimes we just use this, this word, you know, do not judge. And we forget that there is some moral discernment that we always have to take. If, if a guy wants to date one of my daughters, and he pulls up into my driveway, and he honks the horn in his conversion van, then on the side says the love shack, and it has a bed in the back. <laughs> he has 14 nose rings and a tattoo that says, I am the Antichrist. You better believe I'm going to use some moral discernment, and I'm going to discern him right out of my driveway. Every day we exercise discernment, that you have to make judgments about different things in your life, that you have to look at a certain scenario and you have, to, you have to discern those scenarios. This is not what Jesus is talking about. When Jesus says, do not judge, he's not talking about analyzing a situation. He's talking about condemning a person. Well, here's what Jesus goes on to say. He says, do not judge, or you too will be judged. For in the same way that you judge others, you will be judged. And with the measure you use, it will be measured to you. When you judge, it's like taking out a tape measure and you size up somebody else. You size them up and Jesus says, I'm just letting you know. Then in the same measure that you used, it's going to be used on you. In the way that you judge, you will be judged. 
Here's what Jesus is saying. Jesus is saying, I want you to use the golden rule and apply that to the way that you judge. I want you to judge others as you would have them judge you. I want you to judge others as you want your heavenly Father to judge you. So here's the question. How do you want to be judged? I can tell you how I want to be judged. Because for me, I tend to give myself the benefit of the doubt. Don't you? I mean, because you know your heart. You know your motives. And so we're easy to give ourselves the benefit of the doubt. I want God to take everything into consideration in my life. I want him to take into consideration the family I was raised in, the way that I've been treated by other people. I want him to take into consideration all of my insecurities, my entire history, the temptations that I struggle with, and what happened to me in the eighth grade. It's like, God, I want you to take that all into consideration. I want God to say, well, no wonder you make stupid decisions sometimes. Now I get it. I completely understand. Welcome into my kingdom. I want other people to say, well, he, he may have made some mistakes, but there's probably some things that we don't know. There's probably another side to the story. That's how I want to be judged. Jesus says, you decide how you want to be judged, and you apply that to every situation that you're in. Well, he goes on here in verse 3. And Jesus says, why do you look at the speck of sawdust in your brother's eye and pay no attention to the plank in your own eye? Jesus is using some humor here. He's trying to lighten the mood a little bit. And he's saying, you know how ridiculous it looks if you have a two by four sticking out of your eye and you're trying to get close enough to to take a piece of sawdust out of somebody else's eye. That's ridiculous. He goes on in verse 4, he says, How can you say to your brother, let me take the speck out of your eye, when all the time there is a plank in your own eye? So why do we do that? Why do we try to, to analyze the speck that's in someone else's eye when we have a plank in our own eye? I think first, I think it's just more fun to look at the sawdust in someone else's eye. That your issues make me feel better about myself. That when I can look at your faults, it makes me feel better about my faults. But I think there's another reason. I think the other reason is maybe we didn't even notice that there was a plank in our eye. That we're in complete denial of the issues that are in our life. Or we choose to ignore them because we think it's okay for us to have those issues and not for someone else. Verse 5, Jesus says, you Hypocrite. Now, hypocrite literally in this, in this context right there, all these people knew because that's what they call an actor in a play. Because a hypocrite, that these actors, they would be one person, but they'd play all the different characters and they'd have a different mask for each one. Well, we know what a hypocrite is. A hypocrite is somebody who says one thing but does something different. Everybody in this society knows what a hypocrite is. And Jesus says, you hypocrite, first take the plank out of your eye. And then you will see clearly to remove the speck from your brother's eye. Here's the truth. There's a little bit of hypocrites in everybody in here. There's a little bit of hypocrites in all of us. So let me ask you, what is the plank in your eye? Do you even know? Can you name it? Can you name what the plank is in your eye? 
Maybe it's, it's people with money. You view them as arrogant and self-centered. Maybe it's the poor. You look at them and you think, if they just worked harder, they wouldn't be in the place that they're in. Maybe it's a political party. Is there anyone else who's already sick of the presidential campaign? We are a year away. It is going to be a long year. Some of you, you hate Democrats because you think that they're entitled and they spend everyone else's money. Some of you hate Republicans because they use the God card and they do nothing to care for the poor. For some of you, it is the body-pierced or tattooed-covered student, or it's a skin color, or a nationality, or a sexual orientation. You may have developed this attitude of condemnation, and I think Jesus is saying, there is a plank in your eye. There is something you need to deal with first. Here's how the Apostle Paul writes this in Romans chapter 2. Apostle Paul says, You therefore have no excuse. You who pass judgment on someone else, for whatever point you judge another, you are condemning yourself because you who pass judgment do the same things. So when you, a mere human being, pass judgment on them and yet do the same things, you think that you will escape God's judgment. Jesus, as he's teaching this, this teaching of Jesus, he's talking to his followers because he's talking about your brother, seeing the speck in your brother. There are so many churches and there's so many Christians who have judged people outside the church and then they refuse to take care of their own business and they wonder why nobody wants to come to church. The Apostle Paul writes in 1 Corinthians chapter 5, he says, Stop judging people outside the church. Stop judging people outside the church. That is none of your business. He says God will judge them. Stop judging them. But he said, for those of us who are followers of Christ, here's what sometimes we take this teaching of Jesus where he says do not judge, and here's how we would sum it up. Just mind your own business. Just mind your own business, I'll mind my own business. Well, here's what Jesus says, again, in Matthew chapter 5, um, chapter 7, verse 5. He says, you hypocrite, first take the plank out of your own eye. Jesus is giving us a list here. He's giving us a process. He says, first take the plank out of your own eye. If there's a first, then we have to ask, what is Next. If there's a first, there has to be something that's next. He says, first, you deal with your own life because otherwise you lose complete credibility to speak into others. But this right here is where so many people stop. And Jesus didn't stop here. If I stop here, then it's all about me becoming a better person. And I don't care what happens to you. Here's what Jesus says in verse 5. He says, first, take the plank out of your own eye and then... You will see clearly to remove the speck from your brother's eye. See, the problem with minding your own business, the problem with I'm just going to mind my own business is it might make me a better person, but it does nothing for you. We like to repeat, don't judge. You have no right to judge me. You can't do that. But to simply leave people alone, to simply say, I'm just going to mind my own business, 
It's all about me coming to terms with my own sin and doing nothing for you. But when I begin to deal with my own sin, then I become a candidate to speak into someone else's life. Here's the lesson that Jesus is teaching. When you look at this whole thing, Here's the lesson is that you take the plank out of your eye in preparation for removing the speck out of your brother's eye. You take the plank out of your own eye in preparation for removing the speck out of your brother's eye. I think this addresses three different groups. I think there's three different groups that probably you will find yourself fitting into one of these groups. You might find yourself fitting into more than one group. It's this, group number one is that you think that you are too good to confront someone else. You know the Bible. You're pretty religious. Maybe you've never done anything that bad. And what you do is you size people up and you write them off. You make a measurement of them and then you just discard them. And the truth is, you are self-righteous. The only sin that Jesus seemed to go ballistic over was the sin of self-righteousness. Because self-righteous people dumb down the holiness of God and they elevate their own holiness. If this is you right here, if this maybe is you, the thing that you should do in response to Jesus' teaching is to repent. It's to repent. You should repent of the sin of self-righteousness. The sin of others. If the sin of others does not break your heart, it's probably because your heart has never been broken by your own sin. If your initial reaction to people is judgment, then you probably never come face to face with your own sinfulness. If this is you, it's time to repent. It's time to repent. Well, there's a second group. There's a second group, and you lack the courage to confront. You lack the courage to confront. You see people with issues and problems, and you say, Well, that could have been me. By the grace of God, that's not me. I'm just so glad what God has done in my heart. God, it just breaks my heart. When I see them doing what they're doing, when I see their life like it is, God, it just breaks my heart. God, and I'm going to pray for them. God, I'm going to ask that you would change them. God, that you would help them. I'm just going to pray for them. God, it just reminds me of the grace and the forgiveness in my life. It reminds me of what you've done for me, but I'm not going to talk to them because it's none of my business. Well, Jesus teaches, if you're a follower of Christ, it is your business. It is. Confronting people about their issues is not insensitive. Confronting people about their issues is what it means to love. It's what it means to love. God has done something in your life, and you can see that their sin is taking them to a place that's going to be destructive for their life. And here's the application for you. You need to confront. You need to confront. For a lot of you, you know exactly who you need to talk to. As I'm talking about this, you have somebody in your mind, you know exactly who it is for you. I've done this so many times. Because I'm a pastor, I'm often in a situation where I just need to confront. And let me tell you, it doesn't always go well. The Apostle Paul says that whenever we do this, we speak the truth in love. We don't just speak the truth and we don't just be loving. We speak the truth in love. 
See, this is how you leverage what God has done in your life for the benefit of others. When you begin to see how God has changed you, you leverage what God has done in your life for the benefit of others. Well, there's a third group. This third group is you've been confronted and you refuse to listen. You've been confronted and you refuse to listen. Someone has come to you about something in your life and you wrote them off as being judgmental. As soon as they started to talk, you said, you can't judge me. They said, I'm not judging you. I'm just trying to help you. But you put your heels in the ground and you said, you have no right to judge me. But in your heart, you knew that they were right. In your heart, you knew that something needed to change. Now, there are some times where people come to you where they accuse you of a motive that you did not have. Or they accuse you of doing something that you did not do. Or they want their convictions to be your convictions. There's times where that happens. But there are times where somebody comes to you. And you know that this is an issue in your life. You know it is. And defensiveness ensures that your past will continue to show up in your future. Your defensiveness ensures that whatever was in your past is going to be continue to be drug in to your future. And when somebody approaches you, it's always awkward. I mean, no one wants to confront somebody else, and no one does this perfectly. I don't care how much you pray or how much you prepare, that when you confront someone, it never goes perfectly. And when you're confronted, they don't always do it right. But if you use their imperfection as a way as an excuse to not change, then God's not going to do the work that he wants to do in you. And if this is you, if this is you right now, your application is that you need to listen. That you need to listen. So how do we respond? How do we respond to all this? See, here's this list right here. Maybe you see yourself on this list. You look at this list and you begin to identify where you are. For some of you, right now, you need to repent. You need to repent of the self-righteousness that you have in your life. For some of you, you need to confront. You need to have the courage to confront somebody with their issue because God has not redeemed you just for your sake that when you begin to clean out your life you use that to leverage that to help other people for some of you it's to confront some of you you need to listen someone's trying to speak into your life and you've not listened and the application for you today is you need to listen you need to listen to what they're saying and see if there is some truth that God is trying to speak into your life, into your heart. This is what we do as followers of Christ. We come alongside each other and we help each other. It's what God has called us to do. I wonder how those outside the church would begin to respond if they saw us doing this right. 
If people who are outside of the church and away from Christianity begin to see us doing this right with each other, how they would be drawn to us, how they would be drawn to Jesus, to say, I want to be part of people who love like that. Because this is what love does. Love drives us to want the best in people, to love them the way Jesus has loved them. I'm going to pray. And as I pray, my guess is that you found yourself on that list somewhere. And it's time for you to begin to to talk to God about this. To ask God what the next step is for you. God, we thank you that you are a God who doesn't see into our imperfections and just condemn us. But you love us. God, there are some people in here who struggle with self-righteousness. And the longer that we're followers of Christ, this sometimes is our tendency. God, I pray that you would speak into their life this morning. God, there is some people here that they have somebody in their life that they need to have a conversation with. And they just have not had the courage, but they see their life going in such a bad direction. And they need to have the courage. God, there's others in here that somebody has tried to talk to them and they've just been defensive. They didn't want to hear it. And God, I pray that you would help us to break down these walls so that we can listen to the people who love us and want us to be more like Christ. God, for those of us who are in that place, that we would do this in the most loving and accepting way. God, we want to be like Jesus, and we want the world around us to see that our life is driven by by the way that Jesus would live. So God, hear our prayers. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.